I think that workers are so key in this because they are the experts of the processes and of their day-to-day -day work. Often they're not listened to. So today, really excited to have a guest on the show, Alex Barber. She is the founder of Frontline Sidekicks. She's a coach and consultant in the manufacturing industry and really a leading voice in the empowerment of the frontline workforce. We're going to talk to her today about everything from transformation to workforce change to, uh, you know, how do we change the mindset of an industry? Absolutely fascinating conversation and uh, I hope you enjoy. Alex, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. Thanks for the invite. No, of course. I'd love to hear a little bit from you about your background. There aren't many people who are, I guess, what I would call an influencer in the connected worker space. And, you know, you're definitely one of them. So I'd love to hear, how did that come about? What's your background? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm actually uh, come from the business side. I was a business student. I studied supply chain and logistics. And I did a graduate program uh, first with Bayersdorf. Um, and part of that program was to also do a rotation in the manufacturing industry. And as a business student, I always thought, oh, I'm going to end up somewhere in strategy, nothing operational. And I just loved it. I loved the people manufacturing. I loved the fast results that you get. I loved the hands-on mentality. And overall, I did a few other rotations. But in the end, I even did like another one in manufacturing because I really knew I wanted to start there and I ended up uh, after the program as a team leader um, of a group of like 30 workers in the uh, on the operational side. Uh, and one and a half years later, um, I was a team leader uh, in the logistics uh, warehouse in the same factory. And yeah, one of the things that I've noticed is I felt like I led my team a little bit different, um, maybe partially because I was a business student and I'm not an engineering, I don't have an engineering degree. So on a technical side, I was really reliant on the knowledge and expertise of my workers. So that's why I asked them lots of questions. I listened carefully. I tried to absorb as much as possible in, in the process I I gained their trust, I gained their respect. They felt um, valued and appreciated. And appreciated. And in the end, um, that was also seen in the results of the projects and in the productivity. And for me, it was something that I really wanted to change in the industry. I felt like we still lead very differently in manufacturing than we do maybe in other, let's say, white collar jobs or in the office. And um, that's why I, I did want to see a different company. So I went, uh, I did a little pit stop at Tesla for three months. Um, I knew already then that I wanted to be self-employed, but you can't say no to Tesla. <laughs> so I wanted to have a look. And yeah, but in the end, I felt like there were some differences, but overall, I, I still think that uh, it needs changing how we lead in the manufacturing industry. And that was my goal. Overall, I try to now give keynote speeches, uh, participate in podcasts like this to try to get the people to understand how valuable their frontline workforce is and uh, that we need to invest in them. And that's what I do now as a coach and consultant. Uh, yeah, investing, helping, leaders, doing leadership training for the shop floor managers to say like this or for the team overall and also to help with uh, training and development programs for the frontline workers. 
that's really exciting. And uh, we're going to get onto that a little bit, but I'd be fascinated to hear from you. You went from, I guess, more traditional manufacturing into Tesla. What was that like? And what did you notice uh, was different about Tesla versus places you've been before? Yeah, that's actually a very interesting question. So one of the things that was obviously very different was the speed. And I think Tesla is known for this anyway. So um, when it comes to change and projects and trying to make, yeah, just get getting things done and making it happen, Tesla was obviously much faster than, than being in a traditional corporate environment. Um, on the other hand, something that I also found very positive was that in comparison to maybe in the corporate environment, um, when it comes to promotions and positions, it's it's not so much about what degree you have. Um, it's really about your potential, your motivation, and if you've had some sort of experience in the field, and that can be with a degree, that can be with your whatever you have done. So it doesn't have to be necessarily, you can be become a manager or supervisor without having studied. And I think that's still quite rare, at least in Germany, in a, in a corporate environment. That's really interesting. How has that, um, I guess, affected your thinking when you're going out, you're presenting, there's a lot of great content online, you've done a TEDx talk, um, I'm very vocal in the space. How has that influenced your outlook on the, the world of leadership? Yeah, I mean... I think that on the one side, when it comes to leadership, I don't really think that I'm presenting something extremely new. Like, I feel like we already have this form of leadership. Um, you guys talked about it uh, in your first episode with Andy from General Mills, uh, talking about servant leadership. And that's exactly what it is about. And that's also what I want to achieve when I say frontline sidekicks, because for me, it's it's turning the permit around and having the workers as the heroes and the managers, or let's say the company overall, as their sidekicks that support them. And, and that's what, for me, servant leadership is is about and I just think because of many reasons and one of them being the class divide that exists in the industry um, this hasn't happened as much as it has in white collar jobs or in yeah in office office jobs so that's why I sometimes feel like it should be so obvious I'm not like inventing anything new um, but it unfortunately it isn't and I even at like some of my clients that I went to you could still see the outdated leadership styles. And do you think that's something that is changing in the industry and how do you go into an organization with let's say a more traditional leadership style and you take it on a change to become um, I guess, more forward thinking to turn leaders into into the sidekicks rather than the heroes. Mm. How do you do that? Yeah, that's actually not easy. And it doesn't go from like one workshop and then it's all done. I think um, it all starts with the management or the CEO, or I usually go into like smaller companies. Obviously, I'm not going to go into a corporate and change the whole, whole culture that by myself. That's going to be quite hard. But it starts with the the CEO or the factory manager believing in it because often that that's the most important thing they understand that their workforce is the most important that there is and including their managers because in the end frontline managers lead up to 80% of a company of a frontline company to or a manufacturing company and 
um, they see that there is a need for change, but they don't know how. So I think that's the most important thing that um, they understood that part. Often they've already tried some things out and they're somewhere like in between, like we've done maybe some coaching here, maybe we've done, many have maybe done like a, a questionnaire to ask their employees how they're feeling, uh, what can be improved, but often didn't like act on it. So that's usually what um, I go into. Like I do lots of interviews at the beginning to understand the culture. I also like to go there physically because it's still something else to ask a question uh, over a questionnaire or in an interview like this than to actually go and see some of the things, some of the habits, um, what the atmosphere is like um, and see how the managers treat the workers and vice versa, what the workers think of, of their managers. And that's for me is the, the starting point. And then it actually goes into a very personalized coaching and um, and change management process. So some need more help with um, just basic appreciation and listening. Others just need an action plan. Others need maybe what I also do is um, mediations because they can be very old conflicts that have happened uh, over the years. That's why this guy isn't talking to them or, or maybe also because you have that class divide and many people also think, oh, well, uh, my manager, he's just thinks I'm a number and he doesn't really care about me. But in fact, the person doesn't have time because he has to lead or she like 30 to 40 people. So um, it can be a structural change of maybe reducing the amount of people that are led. Um, but mostly it is a, a mindset change from both sides. And that only can happen with like continuous like workshops, even one-on-one -on -one coachings, especially especially with the managers. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a long process. It takes uh, probably, I mean, I start with like three to six months programs and then there is often follow-ups. Wow. Yeah, I can see that. And what is the effect on the organization to not do that? You know, what is the cost of not doing this and why is it important? Mm, yeah, that's actually the question I get a lot because it's very intangible, right? Um, if you just become like a better leader if you empower your frontline workforce. But overall, what I can say also from my personal experience, when I did that with my team as much as I could, is you gain so much. You gain like the people are much more motivated and they are going the extra mile. They bring in their ideas because they feel listened to. Um, and in the end, they don't take maybe those sick days because they don't want to come to work or they don't leave the company. So if we turn this around, if you don't do this, people are going to start to leave. There's already a skill shortage. So uh, it's going to be hard to even attract talent if you don't develop them because one of them... I think top five reasons, I don't remember exactly, but it is definitely um, career development that people are interested in. And if you can't provide that, and it doesn't have to be that the worker now becomes like the factory manager, but at least to develop them, to develop the skills, the digital skills, but also maybe to uh, do cross-functional swaps so that people can understand maybe more holistically the factory. So if you don't develop your people, you will no longer have people. Uh, in the future, they will not come to you and you will greatly suffer from uh, this 
skill shortage. And if if you have the people, alternatively, if they're not motivated, there will be lots of error, low quality, low productivity. So um, that's exactly what people need to get out of. And skill shortages has been a big theme. I think we've touched on it in almost almost every episode so far this season. Um, what are the other impacts on the organization as, as a whole? Because I know that you know, you've mentioned before that the fourth industrial revolution is stalling. You know, why is that? Why are workers so key when it comes to the next industrial revolution? I think that workers are so key in this because they are the experts of the processes and of their day-to-day work. Um, They do this job eight hours a day and for a long time, some of them for 20 years or 25 years. And um, when it comes to digitalizing those processes, for example, um, often they're not listened to. Um, And there comes the engineer and there comes like maybe an external provider and maybe even the manager and um, decides to automate or digitalize the process. And halfway through, they notice either some of the like there there's sometimes even digitalizing a process that isn't really efficient instead of thinking it new and and try to make it better. Um, because they don't know as much. And I, in my opinion, they're so important because they need to be involved in this process from the very beginning. And obviously, many people are afraid of that because they think, oh, if we involve them, they're going to be afraid because maybe their job is going to be redu- made redundant or um, they will resist. But it's actually the opposite. The earlier you involve the people, the earlier you communicate it to them, the earlier they understand what's going on and are not just like, oh, here's the new process, now use it, uh, or the new tool, um, the better and the less resistant there are to change. And you'll be surprised um, how much they are involved or want to be involved in in this process. Um, and that's why I think it's the most important thing. We cannot automate or digitalize without taking into account the frontline workforce. And it's really interesting to hear you say, I know that you're based in Germany, uh, you do a lot of work in Germany. How do you think the workers' councils can help with this or, or do they hinder? Because in some ways, you know, that's institutionalized in Germany, that workers are involved. And is that setting a shining example or is it, or is it actually a challenge? I'd love to hear your experience with that. Yeah, I think it's um, it's a little bit both. <laughs> of course, I understand that there are working councils and they're important. I wish they they didn't have to exist because if in an ideal situation, the company is taking care of the workers because they understand the importance and and maybe the workers themselves have something to say uh, in a more let's say democratized democratize I don't know how to say in a more democratic way um and so the ideal situation would be that there was no working council but I would say unfortunately there is one because we aren't in this ideal situation and from my experience um they can often be hindering the process um why because to give you an example, when it comes to training and development, I also wanted to, we had a new production line. We wanted to do training for the workers and they were supposed to um, teach each other. So there was, it was like a train the trainer concept. Um, 
And we uh, trained one, a few people, and they then were supposed to train the other operators. And we did a checklist with all of the things that they needed to learn. And then we did the normal, uh, I think that's very common, like also from um, lean management and and. Uh, TPM is just like the skill matrix that you have where you say from one to five, whether one has seen it before, has done it once, uh, is able to do it by themselves or fully autonomous and then actually can teach. So we wanted to use that matrix and uh, we weren't allowed to use it because of the working council because they said, no, this is an evaluation and one worker cannot evaluate the other. Although it's not a great, right? It's not like you can do it and you do it so well. It's just really a tick box to say this person can now work autonomously. And it's signed by both people that they also agree. Yes, I feel comfortable now doing it by myself. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, we couldn't do that. So we had to take away all of the grading uh, to say it like this, because that's how they called it. And it was a little bit more complex to just use the checklist, but you didn't really have the nuance of how far the people were. Or you had to put the team leader or supervisor there to do it. It just wasn't allowed to be done by a coworker. So it's these type of things that make it a little bit more difficult. Um, but at the same time, I think it's often also because the working council still sees digitalization and automation as the enemy. And it shouldn't be like that. Um, I think if the working council is communicated well to and even explained just the same as the workers to just say, hey, we actually want to digitalize the process. We want to help and make the life of the operator easier. And this is what's coming. And this is what we need. I actually think that um, you can have a partner in them. But uh, it is very difficult at the moment. And I think that's that even there, the mindset needs to change. Right. So I think that's very difficult in Germany. Yeah. Uh, we have listening to this podcast, uh, connected leaders who are you know, either trying to or have already implemented digital transformation. What advice would you give, you know, not just in Germany, but beyond? How do you how do you bring your workforce along with you and communicate in a way which is transparent? to lead to better adoption of digital tools. Mm, yeah, you already used the most important word, which is transparency. Um, I think it starts with explaining why is this happening? Um, what are we doing? Where do we want to go? So um, they need to be, like I already said earlier, involved from the beginning to understand why we're doing this. Um, how does this affect me? Is it going to, if it's just a digital tool that makes my life easier, great. If it's um, maybe something that makes our life so much easier that we only, we need two people less, then, uh, then obviously this affects me also in a different way. What happens with those two people? Where do they go? So you can't just like start a process, have calculated maybe some things um, as to a reduction of the workforce and hide that. And then in the end, just like get rid of two people um, or not having a plan for them, especially I'm sure in a labor shortage, you have a plan for those people because you need them. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah, that's definitely important. So it starts with the why and how it affects the person and what the goal is and what the benefit of it all is. And then it goes into like getting feedback from from the operators. And by that, I mean 
maybe you have an engineer, an automation engineer or some sort of like leading the project, but you definitely need to have um, uh, operators as your members of the team to maybe see, maybe you start a pilot and then they can adjust certain things of the process or, or of the tool to, to work better for, for their day-to-day work. Um, and they should be there throughout the whole process. And, and then what I also think, what I um, coincidentally said before regarding the training program, I think when it then comes to implementing it and, actually using it i think a train the trainer uh, program is is very good why do i say that is because the operators are very used to learning from each other i mean before there was any type of training tools or any form of training it was just like hey i'm going to go to a new production line i'm just going to follow this guy for months and then i'll know it so I think they're more used to learning from peers than now an external person coming and explaining to them, often because that person also doesn't speak the same language. And when I say that, I don't mean language, English or German. I mean the operator language, the day-to-day language that they use, that they know with their tools and their machines. And I think it would be much easier to learn from a colleague and much more effective. I don't think I actually have seen it than uh, to learn just from maybe an external person or maybe just the automation engineer. Um, Yeah. And lastly, train the trainer, always take the people that are keen and really motivated to change because you always have like, it's kind of like the early adopters, if you wish, you always have the people that are really excited about it and really want to do something. Take those to learn maybe from, from the uh, engineer or from the external person. And then those will be kind of like your promoters for the process. That's really interesting because in software, there's um, a really great book called Crossing the Chasm. And the idea is that you know, in order to go from the early promoters to the mainstream adopters, you actually need the early promoters to help you do mm. that, to create awareness, to, uh, to get people involved. And it's interesting to hear you talk about that from a digital transformation point of view. You know, every factory in the world is going to have people who are, you know, very much forward thinking, pro technology, you know, ready to implement something. And it's also going to have people who just don't have time to implement digital transformation. So Mm. kind of utilizing those resources is is really interesting. Yeah. I know that uh, something you're really passionate about as well is, you know, how workers are perceived in the 21st century. And you've mentioned a few times about class divide in manufacturing. What do you think the challenges are that is affecting I guess, for stereotypes in uh, the market at the moment. Mm. Yeah, I think um, some of the stereotypes are, for example, that the workers are lazy, that they just want to come to work, work eight hours, not think and go home, that they are um, just not smart enough to learn new tools, to to um, implement or like improve certain processes. And from my experience, that is really just like um, a stereotype um, that it has grown historically. And it's not really about the people, but it's about the environment and the structures that we've had in the past. And we've had this Tayloristic divide of like working on the one side, people who think and the other side, people who execute. And I understand that this brings a certain amount of efficiency, which is why it was done. But nowadays, um, efficiency is no longer 
the most important factor, I think, in manufacturing. It's rather agility and innovation. And in order to get that, you need everyone to think. And the problem is obviously that, yes, there was there is a difference maybe with regards to education. So maybe an operator doesn't understand all of the connections in a company like where, why does planning do this? Uh, where does the information from planning come from? And that's why maybe they, on the other hand, get angry at the planners that they keep changing um, all, all the, uh, sorry, all of the um, orders on the line and, uh, or that they reduce them because they don't want to have that much inventory, et cetera. Like maybe the connections aren't like as clear to many of, of the operators because they haven't done a four-year business degree, which is normal. Um, but you really need to have uh, the time and use the time to explain certain things. And on the other hand, that stereotype, that goes also the other way around. So, for example, I was a person that always wanted to hear what my workers had to say. Also, like on a personal side, I never assumed that there were any like less intelligent than I was. I learned, I actually think I learned more from them than they learned from me, if I'm being very honest. And um, that's why I also thought that it is really important that we give them a chance because I heard very often when I when we were talking about developing certain workers, it's like, oh, do you see this person on this line, which is maybe a little bit more complicated. And then it was like, no, I don't see him there. But never tried before, never put him there, never gave him a chance because maybe that person was super demotivated because um, he has three children at home. He earns absolutely very little money. And then in the end, it's just that the demotivation came from a completely different source that made him maybe make more errors in the area that he was right now. But if you were actually listening to that person, take care, see what's going on in the person's life. Why is that person demotivated? And maybe they say, look, I actually would love to do that project, I would be so motivated to go on this new line because I would maybe get a salary increase and maybe they're motivated by the money, but it doesn't matter as long as they are motivated. Like there could be different source of motivation. And yeah, I just think that we, we reduce them to, even in our society, we reduce them to say, oh, this person doesn't have a degree or they only have that type of job. Like, I don't like for me, it just doesn't work like that. I grew up, for example, in if you want to say in two different classes, um, my father's a doctor and my mom is a dental assistant and she never studied. And I felt like I saw both sides and how different it was when they were together. It was fine. But when they separated, I could see the discrepancy. And so overall, I just feel like my mom is as intelligent as my dad and it doesn't matter whether you studied or not. And I think that's something that we really need to, we need to change that stereotype, that bias that we have of people in the manufacturing industry because we're losing so much potential. Something that you keep talking about, which I think is fascinating, is, is the class divide in manufacturing. And, you know, could not agree more. You know, the workers are sometimes the smartest people in the organization. 
But moving to that mindset can you know, not necessarily be easy. You know, how do you change manage that kind of mindset and manage any kind of conflict that comes up? I think one of the things that people also underestimate um, in the manufacturing industry, we were just talking about the divide between the classes, right? So the stereotype mm -hmm. between managers and, and workers uh, or blue color and white color, if you wish. And I actually think, um, yes, it needs to have a change in, uh, in mindset. But I also think that often this doesn't happen overnight and just being aware of it doesn't work. And there's like really people have worked together for 20 years or longer. And then this guy doesn't want to work with that guy. And like I said before, you, you have that a lot. And one of the tools that I learned um, and was because of the experience that I had as a manager myself is there are lots of conflicts in manufacturing, whether it's between safety and quality and production and logistics versus that guy and the mechanic versus the operator and even the operator between each other that is very harmful to the organization and the collaboration on the shop floor and that's why i did a, a mediation training because it is something that is not really well known in on the industry side yet You know, mediations from like, um, instead of going to court, like families go to do, a, to do a mediation, right? So it's pretty much just both of them agreeing to try to work it out between themselves with, a, with the help of a mediator. And this is actually becoming quite big in, on the business side as well, but I don't think it has reached the industry at all. And I think it could be very helpful um, to have maybe um, certain colleagues that don't get along to maybe do a mediation or to even have a full team mediation. When you feel like there's too many people like not getting along, we're not getting somewhere as a team, maybe even because also the managers don't lead the way that the team wants. And then everyone is just like getting upset. And I think this is something that, um, in the future would be very helpful because as a manager, if you're supposed to solve conflict, it's really difficult because you're not neutral. You know the people very well and you automatically, uh, without even thinking, you will side with someone. Um, so even if like somebody comes, let's say with a conflict, oh, this guy did this, by the time that you say, oh, okay, I understand, and you're just not, the person might interpret it as it like, Oh, he's on my side. Um, so it's a very, very tricky situation to be in. And I was in, in a situation like that as a manager, and I really did not know how to deal with that conflict. And that's why um, I'm not just saying do a mediation course now, but I think um, conflict resolution and conflict management is also something that um, especially shop floor managers um, or supervisors need to, to learn, or if not learn, try to deal with it uh, externally. Alex, it's been absolutely amazing talking to you. Uh, really fascinating to hear what you're talking about. If the listeners are interested in hearing more, you know, in English or German, Uh, where can they find out you know, more of the information and, and more of the media that you're putting out there? 
Yeah, sure. So I just uh, published my website. It's frontlinesidekicks.com. You can find anything about like working with me and also, um, yeah, schedule just to get to know each other. I also have um, my TEDx talk there and a couple of other podcasts and articles. Um, they're also all on the website. And yeah, also stay tuned for my podcast that will come out end of October. End of October. Um, it's called it's in German it's called uh, Sichtwechsel Schichtwechsel which uh, pretty much means change um, the point of view and shift change it's a word play in German doesn't work in English unfortunately <laughs> um, but yeah what I want to do there is I want to give the stage to uh, current or former frontline workers so usually everyone interviews CEOs and managers and experts like we do right now and it's great but I feel like in order for people to see the perspective of the workers with regards to maybe digitalization, maybe training, maybe the culture, it can be all the sorts of different uh, current topics uh, with regards to the factory of the future, um, that they can give their opinions um, and their point of view. And I will also every now and then give my point of view and try to yeah, um, show people, give them some anecdotes about my time as a as a manager and talk about uh, certain workers, what happened on different topics, like maybe worker safety, uh, communication in digitalization projects, etc. Um, so yeah, I'm excited about it. And I'm hoping that lots of people will tune in as well. Thanks, Alex. We're going to put links to all of that in the show notes. Highly recommend checking out her stuff and uh, you're following her on social media as well. She's got some... Uh, really fascinating content. And it's just so cool to see that, you know, the space we're in has grown to a point where, you know, we've got influencers and experts who are able to put you know, so much content and experience out there. So Alec, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Uh, this has been Zapchat and please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.